0: Hello and welcome to The Flex. It's Matt St. Jean here with Joe Howie. We're recording this on Sunday, December 19th. A little over 24 hours after we watched the Friars go on the road and win their Big East opener at UConn, number 20 UConn. This is about as sweet a start as you can get to Big East play. What were your initial reactions over there, Joe?
1: Um. Well, I, I mean... First off, what a game, what an atmosphere. I mean, you could hear it through the TV. You and I, we both weren't there, but God, the XL Center was bumping, and it wasn't even a majority Friar fan, so that says says something. Um, I was watching my heart rate for most of that second half. (laughs) There was one point where it cloned. It climbed into like the 130s, which is completely unhealthy for <laughs> a basketball game. But you know what? That's just the, the way it was. Um, what a game. I I cannot believe we led by 16 in that second half. And it doesn't even feel like we led by 16, but man, the 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 Friars came to play.
0: That 6-0 run from Nate Watson to open the second half. Oh boy, that was the oh. All right. This is we're for real right now. Especially yeah. we talked in the preview. This is a Yukon paint defense that's legit. Yeah, they're missing Sinogo, and that hurts them there. They still have a lot of really good players. Obviously a close game. Fires 157-53, so ends up being a four point game. If they have Sinogo, maybe things go differently. But they didn't. Without him, they had nothing on the inside for the Friars. You had Nate Watson; he hit five two pointers, and also Ed Croswell, five of six. Both of those guys going for double figures in this one.
1: Yeah, uh, I, I mean, I, I think your your point on Sonogo is well taken, and I think this is a universal statement that can apply not to, just to UConn but to any team in the Big East. But you got to have the next man up mentality, like. And I think I actually watched Dan Hurley's um, portion of the postgame presser, and he actually, and I liked this, he didn't blame anything on missing Sonogo. He said, obviously it hurts, but that's not why they lost. And I think that's actually a a mature explanation. Just like if Nate Watson was out, like you can't blame the loss on, oh, Nate was out, but uh, it definitely hurts their interior. But, you know, the way UConn fans, you know, Go on and on on Twitter about Isaiah Whaley. What did he do defensively on Watson? Isaiah Whaley is like half the size of him with respect to weight. And, I mean, sure, he had a couple of nice blocks, but the blocks were on all people that were
0: smaller than him. Like – Yeah, and it's – This is a UConn defense. They got theirs in terms of blocks. And, yeah, I mean, honestly, both defenses had good days. Neither team hit 60 points. But – yeah. One defense had a, had a better day than the other. And like, like we said, I mean, the Friars led by 16 in the second half. We can – I think we, we can talk and we will about the last quarter of this game because this is three games in a row now where the Friars have gotten outscored over the last 10 minutes. But when you play that well over the first 30 minutes, doesn't matter what team you're playing. You're going to set yourself up for success. That's what the Friars did Saturday night at the Excel Center.
1: Yeah, man. And this is something that I talked about after the Central Connecticut um, when I, I said you, you gave yourself a comfortable enough cushion to, to maintain a lead and then not score well in the second or the fourth quarter. And we saw, you know, I wouldn't say a copy and paste, but a, a variation of. That theme where the Friars built up a lead in the third quarter and it's it's a thick and comfortable lead. And then in the fourth quarter, the opponent starts to to chip away, chip away, chip away until you get a little irritated. You get a little agitated towards the end of the fourth quarter there. And you're you start an itch and your blood pressure rises. And we saw that. Thankfully, I I think our discipline down the stretch, except for a, a couple of hiccups, we were able to to maintain the lead and survive the late-game surge. But we said this against Central Connecticut, that you, you have to fine-tune that. I, I don't think they're just there yet with, with fine-tuning it and, and making it immaculate. But my God, this is a huge step towards that, a huge step.
0: Yeah. And I think uh, one of the things to me, when you look at the box score, I think is interesting is that Providence went on the road against the team that likes to bang down low and said, we'll beat you at your own game. They only took 15 three-pointers. They realized we can win this game on the inside. And with the exception of A.J. Reeves, really just lighting it up from deep. And again, another th- another thread that we can put a pin in for later in this podcast is said, you know, what? we're just going to take it inside on you. Durham, he had seven points. A lot of those down low. Jared Bynum, he came back. We saw him. He played really well. He had a three. He was the only fryer other than Reeves to hit a three, but other than that, he hit three twos. They just yeah. they had guys that were getting there. Bad performance from the free throw line. And I think we kind oh, of expected great. that given what we've seen from this Yukon team, but oh man, I'm I'm really really happy with the mental toughness and physical toughness that this Friars team showed
1: talk about Jared Bynum too I I don't I don't remember if I said this on the mic Matt or if I said this while we were prepping but I said if Bynum does play he'll come off the bench I don't remember the context in which I said it but I remember saying that and you know, I, I think Ed Cooley beat Dan Hurley at his own game. Obviously, Hurley had no decision made about Sonogo until game time. And okay. the same thing applied to Cooley with Jared Bynum, except Cooley never released a decision. Like, at game time, it was, okay, Sonogo is out. And they said, and the commentating crew said nothing about Bynum because no decision was given to them. And then all, all of a sudden, he, he trots out onto the court. But the, back to your point about Bynum scoring in the paint, I thought this sequence was fantastic. Tyrese Martin gets, like, an, an easy bunny layup, starts pounding his chest, like, this is my house. Bynum drives to the lane and gets a wide-open look at the cup. Like, easy layup, like, textbook. My grandma could have could hit the layup that Bynum hit. Like, <laughs> if you're going to pound your chest and be like, this is my house, get back and play some damn defense. Like, you yeah. want to be cocky, you want to be boastful, that's fine. I'm all I'm all for it. Rev up the crowd, but play defense. Like... Bynum Bynum said, "Okay, bet and just drove to the cup and got an easy two. like it. It it completely negates everything that Martin had just done.
0: And Dan Hurley, after the game, described his own team as too soft, especially on defense. And I think you saw it. This was an old school based battle and the tougher team won as a result, which was absolutely the Friars. Another guy I want to talk about when it comes to toughness, who has shown up time and time again late. Al Durham didn't have it at the free throw line. Nobody did. But when UConn cut that lead to two and you got less than a minute left and you need somebody to make a shot, Durham takes it to the basket, hits the tough layup underneath, and that's the ballgame. Which, side note, it was 55-53 at that point, which I believe is exactly what I predicted for a score in our first yeah. episode. So that's what yeah. broke it. and thats I mean, that was the final nail on the coffin. and UConn didn't have anything after that.
1: Yeah, not to mention on that one play, if you watch the replay, I forget who tweeted it, 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 it but Watson has a very nice screen on that play too. And um, back to Durham, just real quickly, I I, I think this is the first time all, se- all season we did see a little blip in his composure. Um, mm-hmm. I think that rebound yeah. into the flagrant one. Um, obviously, w- when you're, you're playing a physical game like this, you're you're gonna the emotions are gonna run high. You're banging around with people. Basketball is a contact sport. You're hitting people. You're boxing out. You know that's why there are fouls called because your bodies are hitting one another. And I, I think Durham let a little bit of his emotions get to him. He threw that elbow. I think was that at Tyrese Martin. I think so. Who was he was fighting for with the rebound? And and listen, the the UConn guys are scrappy. They're, they're chippy, they're mouthy. Dan Hurley is a pain in the ass to watch. <laughs> so I, I think emotions got to Durham. He through that elbow. Uh, it looked a little intentional. Um, I wasn't yeah. pleased with that. You're supposed to be the senior leader. You know, just clean it up. Don't do it again. Come on. Be better than that. That could have cost us the game. It very well could have cost us the game because it was two free throws and then the ball. But anyway, I think he made up for it with with the clutch basket. And then back to Watson with the screen for the basket – Ten points, seven rebounds. He flirted with a double-double. We said that as well in in the pregame episode. But I think his impact away from the ball is seriously undervalued, like significantly. You, you have to think about this. When he comes off the floor, the game plan changes and opens up space in the paint for Ed Croswell to score 11 points in 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. When Watson is on the floor, he draws a lot of defenders and allows for A.J. Reeves to get open looks beyond the arc. So I, I think— while scoring is the big glamour stat, everyone wants to look at how many points you drop. I think Watson's value away from the scoring column is seriously undervalued.
0: Oh, I 100 percent agree. He's just he's just an impact player all around. Every time he's on the floor, he helps out everybody around him. I also want to talk about this since we're talking about leadership and mental toughness, because this is something I've it's kind of come up in my head twice now this season. I was reading an article earlier today on the Athletic uh, talking about Purdue basketball. Which side note, Providence beat them in an exhibition game. Not that that holds a ton of water, but they're a really good team over there this year. I was talking about how they have two different centers who are right now in the top ten for player of the year on KenPom in efficiency. Basically, just two centers each getting 20 minutes a game. But I also thought back to that Northwestern game the Northwestern team that had two centers that basically play 20 minutes a game and are both really, really good. And it talked in there about the emotional dynamic that goes on when you have two guys that know they're good and want to get out there and want to play. How do you balance that? How do you do that without one getting jealous of the other? How do you do that? Where both guys can put the team above the individual. And we've seen that with Watson and Croswell when they're both out there. If you go back three weeks We weren't talking about Croswell at all. This was Watson's team. Suddenly, here we go, Croswell outscoring him, Croswell in double digits all the time. Both of these guys going back and forth. (laughs) There's no complaints from Watson. Watson never looks like he's mentally out of the game. He's still locked in at all times. And I think that that is impressive. A guy in his position could very easily say, oh, wow, I'm the fifth-year senior. I'm going to run this team. And now, coach, you're going to play this other guy? Ah, screw it. But no, there's none of that. And that's what makes yep. this group special. This is the kind, this is the kind of guy Cooley wants to be coaching. Absolutely, Matt. I, I think that's
1: a fantastic point. I also think there, there's a direct correlation here. In three super meaningful games against Texas Tech, against Rhode Island, and against Connecticut on the road, Croswell scores in double figures in roughly 20 minutes of playing time. We'll, we'll say roughly because it's around that benchmark. Watson does not put up his historic statistical performances in either in any of those games. I'd say this game is the closest to his average that he's hit in the 3. Mm-hmm. But his impact is still seen and felt. And and I think it's so important to have these ebbs and flows between the two of them, because sure, Watson's not scoring, but he's an impactful player to the point where, okay, you want to put the backup center in, he'll score, and then you put Watson on the floor, and he opens up looks for other guys. Like, the the dynamic between them is fantastic, and like you said, Matt, there's no egos. Watson's happy when Croswell plays well. Croswell is happy when Watson plays well. The yep. team plays for each other. And it's, not yep. to mention, Croswell's weight loss allows for more flexibility with his position, and the two of them can be on the floor at the
0: same time. As they were at times. That was something Cooley was asked about in the press conference, and he kind of said, I didn't really think about it. They were just both playing well. So at times, they were both out there together. Like, we're, we're going to put our best players out there. And I think another way that this helps you out Croswell and Watson played the center position in different ways. Watson is very much an old school center, a big body guy. He's going to try to beat you up down low. And he also has this nice shot for somebody that's as big as he is. He can hit some of those rangier shots. Croswell doesn't have that range, but he's all he's so crafty down low. I've never seen somebody his size consistently get to the basket and get in front of guys and box people out the way he does. And he gets he gets skinny under the hoop. Like, he'll be under there. He'll be directly under the basket, and you're like, all right, well, he doesn't have an angle, suddenly so balls in the hoop. You know, how did he do that? And that's with those two different skill sets that makes it tougher on defense is to prepare for these guys. I mean, mentally, if you're out there saying, all right, you got it, you guys got to be ready. You're going to be battling with the 6'10 monster in the paint. You got to be physical, 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 physical. Next thing you know, a finesse guy just scored six points on you. You're going, whoa, what was that?
1: Not, not to mention, Matt, too. Given his size, given his height, given the weight loss, the way Croswell dunks the basketball, it's just, wow. I, I, I can't even describe it. There was an end one dunk off of a beautiful elevator pick. Um, the highlights all over Twitter. Donnie Marshall's breaking it down. But essentially, uh, I think it's Horkler and I forget who the other person is, but the two of them set a screen. Croswell gets a nice little backdoor cut. Dunks with through contact Gets the end one. It is probably the nicest dunk I've seen all season, aside from Watson's alley oop against Northwestern.
0: Yeah, that was oh my goodness, that was nice. Yeah, we're not we're not topping that Watson dunk all year, I don't think. If we do, d- dear lord, we're gonna need a new backboard. But yeah, that yeah that was a really nice play to Croswell. I do want to shift gears a little bit though, because we're talking at length about this front court, and obviously Croswell eleven points, Watson ten points. We haven't even really hit on the leading score for Providence, and that's AJ Reeves with 16 points. I feel like yep. time and time again, we've said this year. All right, this is another another one of his best performances as a Friar. This is no exception to that. Really solid game from him. Like quite honestly, Matt, I would go as
1: far as saying that in his four years at Providence, all the buzzer beaters, all the 28 point perform, all of those, I'd say this is his best game, and it's yes. statistically. Statistically it's not his best game, but I'd say with respect to meaningful impact and the momentum swing, I'd say this is his best game. Especially you look at the end of that first half. Reeves hits back-to-back threes to put us up two possessions and just kickstarts a a, a what was it a 17-1 Providence swing. That was the game right there.
0: Yeah. That was the game. It. 17-1 right through that halftime, that, that was huge. And this is where you really saw that top 50 pedigree on display because he was hitting his shots that weren't open. Draw. It's not like they were out there. I mean, at times they drew up looks for him, but some of these were ones where it's like, all right, Reeves has the ball on the wing. He's just going to elevate higher than the defender can and knock down the shot and you go back to those buzzer beaters like he has he has this gene in him when the crowd is loud and the pressure is on reeves really finds a way to lock in i think he's keyed into that even more so this year
1: he's a big confidence guy and this is something we've talked about a lot on the pod you know you've seen a lot of it in twitter narratives but reeves thrives on confidence i think in our last podcast i said it was a hell of a drug and he's taken a healthy dose uh, i think <laughs> When it when it comes to opposing crowds, his confidence is, all right, I want to shut them up when it comes to the Dunkin Donut Center. He's like, I want them to feed me. Yeah. And I, I can't I can't stress how undervalued
0: that is. He, he feeds he, off of the attention from the crowds. He absolutely does, and he seems like one of those guys where when the crowd gets I don't I don't know. It's almost like his mind is a bit too active out there. When the crowd gets loud, it fills that space, and then it's just it's all that muscle memory after that. You can, I know. They, in, in the Twitter group chat they were saying we've been saying it we've been saying it for years. You know when a reeve shot goes in the second it leaves his hands, just based on the form he has and the technique, you know right away, because he just he hits it. He, I don't know. It's like it's like guitar there's, hero when you hit when you play the note perfectly. Like it's just one of those, and it's amazing. It's uh, I, yeah. There's it's
1: an indescribable feeling. But you know it the second you see it, and you know it the second you feel it. Like exactly, Reeves' jump shot is very distinct. It, ha- it almost has like a cartoon like flow to it. Like it looks like yeah. it, it's it looks like it's animated on a computer screen.
0: Yeah, it's like a Mortal Kombat finishing move.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's a certain twitch and a, a kick in his legs when you know like it's a guaranteed make. You know what I'm saying? Like that one leg kicks out just just a tad, and you're like, oh, it's
0: going in. Yeah, and he he elevates, but effortlessly. Because you can tell there's some days where he's forcing it, and he's trying to jump out of the building to hit the shots, and it's just too much. He's putting too much effort. Yeah. Yeah, It's, oh, man. Yeah, that is, it's poetry. Love that. And again, obviously, like, four he hit 16 points, 4 for 8 from deep, 2 for 2 at the free throw line, which, Again, that was big. The Friars under 50% at the stripe. Reeves and Minaya. Those were the only two guys that hit multiple free throws. Both of them were perfect at the line. But in some ways, the most important stat for me, for Reeves, zero turnovers. Again, we've seen him really cut down on the turnovers this year. I think part of it's confidence. Part of it's this team has better ball handlers. So he's not being asked to create by dribbling, He's he's creating off the ball, getting, getting the passes and going from there. He's not trying to do too much with the ball, but he seems to have found his game, and it's reflected in the stat sheets, much cleaner stat sheets this year all around.
1: I, I agree, Matt. Um, I really like the point about turnovers, too, and I think what's important to note with this, too, is when Ed started with that bigger lineup, Durham at the 1, Reeves at the 2, Mania at the 3, Horkler-Watson, Reeves was tasked with bringing the ball up like a point guard to break the press at some points. like, And I think, and we can start to segue into this, I think that's why Jared Bynum was given the playing time tonight. But you saw a lot of times early in the first half when UConn was pressing in the full court Durham was dishing the ball to Reeves and Reeves was playing the one and bringing the ball up and setting the offense. And this is something we saw him do in high school. You know, Mm -hmm. I I think high school, you can't really compare if you're the best player in high school, you're playing the point guard, even if you're seven foot 10. But I I think that's really good. Zero turnovers, especially on a night when you were handling the ball more than you're supposed to. Um, But segueing here, I think that's why Jared Bynum got the minutes he he did tonight. You needed the ball handling IQ to break the pressure.
0: Yeah, I agree. His quickness was definitely an asset, and it was notable on the floor. If you look at Bynum versus R.J. Cole at the other end for UConn, just – yeah, R.J. Cole scored more points than Jared Bynum, but – Bynum had a much better game than R.J. Cole did. Cole was horribly inefficient, was just throwing up shots. Meanwhile, Bynum was kind of gliding around at some points, handling the ball effortlessly. Zero zero turnovers for him as well at the point.
1: Not to mention, Bynum hit the shot of the game, according to Ed Cooley. Yep. I think this is around the eight-minute mark. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, around the eight-minute mark in the second half. and. UConn. This is when they're chipping into that lead. The score is ah, oh, what? It's fifty something forty-eight, right? It's got to be it was, fifty-two. Yeah,
0: yeah it, it was yeah, when UConn was starting to really cut into that deficit.
1: Or no, we were in the forties. Excuse me. They were. We were in the forties. They were in the thirties. It doesn't matter what the score was. UConn cut into the deficit. Bynum's three makes it a nine-point game. Silences the crowd and and kind of. It's it's a breath of fresh air, a relief for the Friars. It's like, okay, all right, calm down. We're back, you know, we're back with a comfortable lead. Like, and you just shut them up for a few minutes. I think, yeah. and Ed Cooley's right. That is the shot of the game. It's it. There's eight minutes left, and you and you're still playing a, a hell of a lot of basketball to go. But that's a, a huge shot for someone who's not historically the best three point shooter either.
0: No, and he is. That's an area where he's shown development this year. I mean, you look before he went down, he had, what, he had a game of three or four threes, something like yeah. that. Bottom's Bynum, had a couple good games like that for the Friars. That's something we saw from him at St. Joe's. He can definitely score. He's not the world's best. He's probably not a Lawan Pipkins type shooter, but he's no slouch. He should be able to put up at least somewhat decent scoring numbers. And he was one of a couple Friars that. When the team needed a basket late in the second half, they got it. Yes, they were a little bit too sloppy and got a little bit intimidated near the end of that second half. Yes, they allowed UConn way too close and way too far back into the game. But every time UConn strung something together and looked like they were about to break the dam, Providence hit a shot every single time. That's what really good teams do. That's why when... By, maybe by the time you were listening to this, around noon on Monday, this team should be in the top 25 because they're doing things that good teams do. They're making winning plays.
1: Yeah. Um. Quite honestly, I, at first I was against this narrative, but now I'm fully on board with it. I don't want them to rank us. <laughs> they, can, they can take their little italicized number and shove it. I do not want to be ranked because <laughs> – they well, didn't want us when we were good, and now that we're nationally good because we beat ESPN's p- poster boy, the Yukon Huskies, now we're going to be ranked? No, 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 no. no. We should have been ranked like three or four games ago. So you know what? Don't rank us. If anyone on the AP poll is listening, don't you dare rank us. Don't do it. Well, I don't want it.
0: Despite your protest, Joe, I do think this is a Friars team that will end up ranked. Most of those ballots have probably been turned in at this point. Assuming all goes to plan, looking ahead a little bit, the Friars should have a ranked matchup against Seton Hall at the dunk in a week and a half. After Christmas, between Christmas and New Year's. That's assuming a couple things happen between now and then, and things go the way that they're expected to. So we're not going to read too much into it, but... You can't ask for a whole lot more than being involved in ranked games in December and onwards for Big East play. That's, that's what we're here for, that high-quality basketball. No,
1: yeah. I, I mean, I'll stick to my narrative. If we're ranked, I'm not going to cry over it. I'll obviously no. be very happy and excited. It'll be the first time since I've been a Providence student that I've seen a ranked Providence team. So, listen, at the end of the day, whatever happens, happens. To be able to attend a ranked matchup at the dunk is Electric Ooh. City. So, yeah, uh, I, I believe would, I
0: would, I very believe much value the that. last ranked matchup at the dunk was Providence against Xavier. Um, in what well, that would have been, I think, January of 2016. Yeah, yeah. So this would be – that would be a big game. But, yeah, we're looking ahead there. I do – we talked a lot about this game. There was a lot that happened in the Big East this week. I kind of want to take a second and just look at this because Creighton beat Villanova. That
1: happened. No, no, no. no. Excuse me. Creighton curb stomped Villanova.
0: (laughs) 20 points, Joe.
1: And you know what I I think is funny is – the, the whole aura of Villanova this season is Colin Gillespie came back. Jermaine Samuels came back. Jay Wright's a, a Hall of Famer. Okay. H- how about the paint? What What's going to happen in the paint? I don't know. Gillespie came back, and he, he hits threes. Okay, but what happens on a night when they don't hit threes and the other team has men that are bigger than them? No, 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 no. Jay Wright's a Hall –
0: okay. It's the same the repetitive excuse. They have no s- – Vill- have- Eric Dixon is – Oh yeah, I think he's a good player, but he's not a fine player. He's fine. He's not that guy. Yeah, he's he's a fine player.
1: There's nothing wrong with him. He's not that guy. Yeah, (laughs) for TikTok (laughs) fans, he's not that guy, pal. The the, the thing with Villanova is, is the culture surrounding Villanova is it's all good. It's all good. It's all good. You only want to talk about the good. But let's take a look at all four losses, specifically this Creighton loss. What's well, a common theme? They get out rebounded. They get outscored in the paint. Second chance points for the other team off of off, off of offensive rebounds. That's a common trend that directly correlates to the loss of Jeremiah Robinson Earl, and Eric Ditz- Aaron- Eric Dixon, whatever his name is, filling his spot. his spot. So, yes, Villanova is a very good three point shooting team, but this year. The mantra live by the three, die by the three is tattooed across Jay Wright's forehead because on nights when those shots are not falling, they are not picking up the slack in the paint and teams are taking advantage.
0: Yeah. This is know, two
1: blowouts in a row for them. Yeah.
0: And you know what they got on Tuesday? Nova comes home and they're playing against Xavier. That That's going to be some must watch basketball action right there. I know I'm excited for it. Xavier wins that one. Nova starts 0-2 in Big East play, drops three in a row. Like things are gonna be effy. I'm I'm gonna pick Nova to win that because I I'm just I'm not picking against them until I see that actually happen. They're still a good team. They're not top no. ten. It's still good team. Quite honestly, I don't even
1: know if they're top fifteen right now, because they have four losses. Only seven wins, and a lot of their losses are by double figures. So I don't even know if they're top 15. They're definitely ranked, um, and I'm with you, Matt. I actually – what did I, before we recorded the UConn pregame, I said I think Villanova is going to blow out Creighton. I said that off the mic. I yeah. think they're going to beat Xavier because if there's anything Jay Wright does well, he plays revenge ball. So
0: Low he's ball probably
1: – he's pissed off that they got uh, humiliated at Creighton, so they're going to try and humiliate Xavier. They're, they'll probably be perfect from three. Uh, who knows? Like, <laughs> the, the reason I get so animated during the point about the paint is because Villanova fans like to turn a blind eye to that. They pretend it doesn't exist. They pretend that their paint issues don't exist when they do. It's a glaring, obvious correlation across all four losses. But yeah. let's continue. Let's go throughout the Big East.
0: Now, well, it's This is going to be the big thing for them because – the other top teams in the Big East, if you're going to go the, the clear top five right now, Seton Hall has Obiagu, Xavier. They have Fremantle, who is coming back from injury, and he's looking better and better. He's been improving. UConn, as we just saw, has a whole host of guys down low who can block shots and score on you. And this is, I mean, they'll get Sonogo back at some point. They're a very physical team down low. The Friars have Nate Watson and Ed Croswell and Manaya and Horkler. If Villanova wants to stay as that number one team in the Big East, you gotta figure out these paint issues. Otherwise, you're probably looking at, at best, you're all these teams are gonna split against each other, and you're gonna end up with like five Big East teams within ten spots in the AP poll. <laughs>
1: And, and you know you know what will happen is it'll be a repeat of the 2019-2020 season where like three or four teams have the same record and you have to start using tiebreakers to determine Big East tournament seating. Yeah. And, and you know damn well that if it's like – Just for argument's sake, Seton Hall, Connecticut, Villanova all tied for first. But Seton Hall wins all the tiebreakers. Villanova will still hang the we won the conference, the regular season (laughs) banner in their gym, even though they're the three seed in the NCAA in the Big East tournament. Yeah, It's
0: just it's good. Yeah. But right now, I mean, this is there is I'm going to leave UConn out of the conversation at the moment. There's four teams that have very legitimate claims to best team in the Big East right now. It's wide open. That's what that Nova loss did. And if they don't beat Xavier, it's – I mean that door is as wide open as it gets. It's anybody's business who can be the top team in the Big East this year. And yeah. what did we – I mean it wasn't even two weeks ago when we were saying as of right now, Nova's the clear number one. It was it was there the clear number one until proven otherwise. Well, well it's happening. <laughs> it, it's its being
1: proven otherwise. I, I, it's so early to make these accusations, but I enjoy the shakeup. I, I enjoy the the change of the narrative because forever, the national narrative uh, led by ESPN is Villanova runs the Big East and that's it. That's all you talk about with the Big East. Then UConn comes in. Villanova runs the Big East and UConn is a suitable second place. Well, maybe this year the narrative changes. Maybe it's not those two. Maybe Villanova drops to three or four by the end of the season. Who knows? But I like the change in narrative. I think it's refreshing.
0: And I think part of that is because, yeah, I think Nova took a step back this year. But also Xavier, they took a big step forward so far. Seton Hall, they've taken a big step forward. Providence has taken a big step forward at this point in the season. And when that happens, I mean – that's that's as much a factor as anything else. It's the Big East is escalating things. The Big East is getting better as a conference right now, and if the conference continues to play this way, oh boy, like this is going to be. It might might still end up being a five bid conference, but you might have five teams that are all a six seed or better when all is said and done in March.
1: You want to talk about getting better, too. I I think there's an obvious one on here that we haven't really spoken about much at all throughout the entirety of our podcast season, and that's DePaul. Yeah. The Blue Demons have a significant winning record right now, and Tony Stubblefield has done an outstanding job turning around that program for when Dave Leto returns to take his third stint (laughs) as head coach.
0: Now I don't. I'm I'm like gun shy about DePaul because we saw it was the one year where they were perfect or almost perfect in the non-conference and then went to Big East play and only won like two games or whatever. It's it a it's three games. Yeah, it's really disappointing that they couldn't play that game against Northwestern with all the the COVID issues that they have going on there because I thought that would have been a really good metric to see where this DePaul team is at the moment, but. They started the year at 140 in Ken Palm, and they are, as we record this, 86. They've nearly cut their Ken Palm rating in half. What need to get, was it Billy Mays in here? To prove the strength of Flex Seal, I took their Ken <laughs> Palm rating and sawed it in half. That's what's <laughs> going on with Tony Stubblefield and DePaul right now. And they're going to have opportunities. They get a home game against the Creighton. If that ha- or has that been canceled? I think that's been canceled already.
1: That has been canceled, and Creighton has been awarded the win. Yeah. Um, I have my own thoughts on on this new rule, but we can. Yeah, I think we'll do we, that could that do, for we could. We could separate. Yeah, we can fill an entire podcast with that.
0: Yeah, and then they get Seton the Hall a couple days before Christmas at home. That'll be interesting. I would not be shocked DePaul loses that one, but after that, they get Butler, they get the Friars at home, they get St. John's. If DePaul is legit, if they're a contender, not a contender at least, but a competitor in the Big East, not a basement dweller, they're going to have some opportunities and Javon Freeman-Liberty, oh my. He is, he's is he been good. David Jones has been good. It's kind of a two-man show for them, but the two men are just, oh boy.
1: <laughs> oh boy, he's right. Um, I'm just trying to think here. Um, Butler has been underwhelming and for a team that returns essentially everyone on the roster very disappointing start to the season especially because I I was definitely high on them I know you were as well Matt just before the season began I I, I think they've been seriously underwhelming
0: yeah that's I and mean, that's what it is they just ha- they don't have with the exception of that win oh, the road win Oklahoma overtime. that's impressive everything that's impressive. else that this Butler team has done has just been meh. I'm like I don't know I was looking at the box score from that Purdue game Aaron Thompson had six points it's totally unremarkable from a guy who was supposed to be I mean Aaron Thompson's a guy who could have been like an all, all biggies first team type guy Yep. If you put it all together and I know injuries are sapped things a little bit. So that's tough there. And I don't know what's going on with LaValle Jordan. But yeah, this is a Butler team. I'm not I'm not going to give up the ghost on them yet because they're their losses. Michigan State, Houston, Texas A&M and Purdue. None of those are bad but, losses except. Right. Yeah. What I will say, though,
1: is I remember not too long ago when people were having the same conversation about the Friars Mm-hmm. who then finished top four in the conference. So I'm not out on Butler yet. I, I still think there's plenty of time for them to piece it together. And that's the beauty of the Big East is that you have so many opportunities to make up quality wins. But what I will say is given the given the return of, of talent and the preseason expectations set by us on the flex, not so much by the conference, I, I'd say Butler has been underwhelming to this point.
0: I I agree. Um, and yeah, like after seeing what the Friars did against Florida and that one that one night in Brooklyn, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I I can't criticize too much a really bad loss to a Purdue team that is arguably the best Very in the country pretty. right now. They're yeah. phenomenal. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna beat up Butler too much. It's not it's not the resume for Butler right now. It's the eye test. It's the metrics. It's the fact that when they've won, it's been shaky. When they've lost, it's been bad. It's and that's it's kind of the the inverse of the Lenovo pre the Creighton game, where these two teams might be sitting there with the same record, but this is a Nova team that are they beat a top twenty five team in Tennessee, and when they've won they've looked really good and their losses are really good teams, so we can kinda all right. They they passed the eye test. You watch them, they look like a good team. So that's where part yeah. of it that's I mean, that's yeah, part of sports metrics yeah. can only tell you so much. Sometimes you got to watch a team that's going to tell you, oh, OK, yeah, this is a good team. Yeah, and exactly. The Villanova still kind of passes that test. Butler does not at this point They're They've gone from fifty five to one hundred and three in Ken Palm. So they're reversing. <laughs> that's uh, that's a dip. That is definitely a dip. Um yeah. Watch storylines to watch here in yeah. the Big East. It's, this is going to be an exciting conference play. I will. I do want to take this opportunity to plug. We have a podcast over at the East Coast Bias now. I'm hosting that. I know we're going to get Joe on there at some point. We're doing weekly recaps. So if you want to hear more, any of my expanded thoughts on any of these, we're going to be talking over there after some Providence wins for sure. Joe is oh, going yeah. to be making some appearances on that. So make sure you're listening to that. Any final thoughts before we log off here, Joe?
1: Um. Yeah, I I mean, and we'll go more in depth with our Georgetown preview, but let's take care of business and and then go into this long holiday weekend, you know, feeling happy. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's really it.
0: Friars are going to be taking on Georgetown later this week. We will have a preview episode for that with a special guest from the Georgetown side of things. So make sure you're on the lookout for that one. Friars currently with a fantastic record so far to start conference play. They knock off UConn 57-53, 1-0 in the Big East, 11-1 overall. Best start since the Chris Dunn years. Make sure that you are following us on Twitter and wherever you're subscribed to this so you can stay with us for what has been a very exciting Friar season and we hope will continue to be an exciting Friar season in the weeks and months to come. Make sure you donate to the GoFundMe. It's right before Christmas. If you have any extra money, you're you're thinking about going shopping, but you're not sure what you're going to do, donate to this instead. It's going to a good cause, so please take a look at the link on our Twitter. It'll be down in the description. We want to help people out. We want to make this a Merry Christmas for all the kids in Rhode Island. Please, please, please go donate to that. And as always, thank you very much for listening. Go Friars.